Well, good morning. I want to thank you all for being here and our worship to God. And uh, if you are visiting with us, just know that you are our honored guest. Uh, we want to get to know you. We want to extend a welcome to come back. Because uh, our goal is to, is to get you plugged in as we uh, fulfill the Great Commission here locally and abroad. And so we do want to say that if you're, if you're out there in, um, online and you're worshiping with us, we're so grateful that you can do that. But we do want to uh, encourage you when you're able to, to be here in attendance with us. Because there is nothing like the fellowship with our brothers and sisters. So um, we do pray that you'll be able to be with us soon. This morning we're going to continue in our series, After I Believe. And we'll be focusing on, in particular, worshiping in spirit and in truth. And our text this morning will be from John chapter 4 verses 23 and 24. So if you want to go ahead and turn there again, that's John chapter 4, 23 through 24. And uh, just kind of a spoiler alert, I will not have PowerPoint this morning. So you won't have that to keep you awake. So uh, maybe, maybe I'll be able to put you to sleep midway through service. At least that's my goal. But... Um, we're going to continue in this series that Jake has been doing. He's done a, been doing a fantastic job there, and we do want to ask uh, that we all pray for them as they're traveling back home, especially all those um, that are out on vacation, spring break. Uh, I will tell you, just from working in the school, that the spring break has been much needed for me. Uh, and at first I thought, wow, this is going super slow. And then today hits, and I went, wow, that went super fast. So, um, but I, I will say that I am ready to get back into work because there's less food there for me to graze on. So I've been eating unhealthy and not working out like I should. Um, I, I want to think about, I think about real quick, there's a movie that we used to watch, my brother and I, we watched all the time growing up. And it was called Smokey and the Bandit. We could tell you every line in that movie. And uh, we thought it was a fantastic movie. We wanted to have the car just like him. We wanted to be able to drive just like him. And as we got older, we thought we could. And it got us into some trouble. But, uh, you know, with this movie, I, as you look at it, this movie was it, it made the, the bad guys out to be the good guys. And it made the, the law enforcement, those that, that are to be good, it made them out to be bad. And uh, so as, as we look at that and think about this movie, I think that we have a tendency to do the same thing in our lives, in particular... With worship, we sometimes think those things that are not so good or it entices us. It's, it's romanticized and it entices us and then we don't like the truth that is presented. 
So I want us to think about that as, as we look at this text, as we look at this topic this morning. And as you're in John chapter 4, I, I want to take just a second to recap, just kind of talk about it. You know, they say to, under, to fully understand the verse or verses in which you read, you need to go back 15 to 20 verses before and see what it's actually talking about. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at that. In, in chapter 4, we see Jesus coming in contact with a Samaritan woman. She is an outcast. She has her own issues. But it's interesting is that Jesus still takes the time to talk with her. He takes the time and he has a wonderful conversation as you look in there. He brings up water, then he brings up living water in which we see that it, that is Jesus and what he has to offer. Then, as you continue to read, he calls her out in her sins. Oh, wait a minute. Now, just to kind of chase that squirrel just for a second, we see that far too often we may be told that as Christians we're to love, and so we may say that you are living in this sin, and well, we just need to love you and, and need to love you out of it. Now... We are told, and we know that if we are disciples of Him, we need to be doing what He does and has done, and we see He calls her out in her sin. Later on, He tells her to, to go and sin no more. But He calls her out in this sin in a, in a Christian or a, in, in Jesus' way. Now, with this, Jesus is breaking down a barrier. He's breaking down a barrier because we see that he is a Jew and he's talking to a Samaritan. Now, remember that Jews and Samaritans just did not like each other. They didn't. Didn't get along. There was a, a deep-rooted animosity towards one another. And just to go back, you can go all the way back to 2 Kings chapter 17 and see that taking place. The, the ten rebellious tribes have just been carried into Assyrian captivity. When this is taking place, the ancestors of the Samaritans come in. Fifty-one years later, by decree of Cyrus, the Jews return to their homeland... And the Samaritans asked to join them in the restoration and rebuilding of the temple. Now, what's interesting is the fact that with their request of helping, it was denied. So now you, you kind of see there's some animosity towards one another, a dislike that's taking place. And Jesus is there breaking down a barrier. Now, the reason I say this is because Jesus um, is seen by the woman here. As you look in this chapter 4, in this conversation, Jesus is seen by the woman here in chapter 4 as a man who has powers and knowledge far beyond any man that she's ever come in contact with. I mean, he, 
He calls her out in a sin that he didn't know her. She thought to him uh, um, that he had no idea who she was. He was just another stranger. So he's now having knowledge and power of things that she's never seen before. And it makes her pause. Now, she brings up in verse 20 a question of worship. A question of worship. And she says, was she supposed to worship God on the mountain like her ancestors have always done? Or is she to worship in the temple like the Jews? So she brings this up to a Jewish man. Remember, she's Samaritan. He's Jew. So she's bringing up this question. Now, the mountain that, that where they're at, she's, it's, it's the Mount of Gerizim. The Samaritans, they could not conceive worship at any other place. You see, they had their own traditions set up by men, set up by their peoples. Now, they believed in that God created Adam from the dust. Then there's some variations that come to take place. And they formed their own thoughts and their own beliefs. And they believed this mountain to be a sacred place. Set up by traditions of men. And then the Jews worshipped in the temple. Why? Because God ordained it. Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 5. 1 Kings 9 and in 2 Chronicles 3. So from this and she bringing up worship, Jesus is about to break the barrier down towards the idea of worship, which is where we're going to get to. Now let's, let's go to verse 23 and let's read the text together, 23 and 24. It says, But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth now this this next part i want you to underline cuz this this sticks out to me this just go ahead and underline it circle it whatever you need to do highlight it it says for the father is seeking such to worship him That's what he's wanting from us. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, we look at those two verses, and first and foremost, I believe wholeheartedly that we all want to be the ones that fall in that category. We want to be the ones that are true worshipers, that worship him in truth and in spirit. But as you look, when it says true worshipers, it also indicates that there is a form of worship that is not true. We don't necessarily think about that. You don't hear about that a lot. And that type of worship is worship that we do not want to partake in. We don't want to take part in that. So the question is, and what we're going to look at, is what is a true worshiper? It's a great question. Well, when we look at, when we dive into just these two two verses, 
we see first and foremost, number one, is we must worship God. It is Him alone in whom we worship. See, someone who worships God sincerely, genuinely, and intelligently. I like what Everett Ferguson put. He said, God is the object of worship, and worship must be God-centered. Only God is worthy. You see, we come here this morning, we come every first day of the week to give God the glory. In Luke chapter 4 verse 8, Jesus said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. You see, we come to acknowledge our Creator. We come to acknowledge our Heavenly Father to give Him glory and honor for what He has done for us and what He will continue to do. You see, that's why we come. We need this time to realize what God continues to do for us. Yes, times are going to be hard. We're going to go through various trials and tribulations. We are. But when we put it in perspective that God is first and foremost, they seem so small. We can get through it when we put it in that perspective. When we come to worship, we are proclaiming in this worship that He is God of our lives. He is the one in whom we live for each and every day. He's given us a blessing. When we wake up in the morning, we're able to breathe. It is a present, a gift from our God, our Creator. At church camp, I think of, there's a song that we sing. And, and it really goes back to Exodus Chapter 21, and I want to read that, verse 5 and 6. Exodus 21, verses 5 and 6. Actually, let's go back a little further because it's looking at um, a Hebrew servant. It says there in verse 2, He shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. So let's skip down to verse 5. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go free. You see, he, had, he now has the opportunity to go free. But if he says, I will not go free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. You see, this, this servant that has been set free, it says, I don't want to serve anybody else but this master. We sing a song called Pierce My Ear. Beautiful song. Here are the words. It says, Pierce my ear, O Lord my God. Take me to your door this day. I will serve no other gods. Mm. Lord, I'm here to stay. For you have paid the price for me with your blood you ransom me. I will serve you eternally, a free man 
I'll never be. Powerful song. And you ought to hear it with a hundred kids singing it. It's beautiful. But that song is saying, I'm no longer living for myself. I am living and I will serve you. In our worship, we are understanding that we are putting God first. He is the center of our worship. And when we come together to do that, I can't help but think worship in this particular aspect is twofold. Because not only when we come, we are putting God in our hearts. We're setting Him first and foremost in our lives. We're proclaiming that. But the second part of that, a byproduct, if you will, is that we're encouraging one another. You see, I can look out and see someone and know what they're going through and how they've lost someone or someone in their life is going through pain and suffering, but yet they're here to worship God. And when I see that, that is encouragement to me. Our our job is not just to worship for the personal interest of our faith, but the collective praise from the local body of believers. Not only are we proclaiming that God is in our lives, but we are coming together to unify in that proclamation. And together we are saying, we serve Him and no other gods. He is my master. A free man I will never be. The second point I want to look at is we must worship God in spirit. If we look at that text, that is a true worshiper. Now, when we look at the word spirit, it means a proper attitude. That's what it means. So, when we think, when we, when we hear spirit, we, we know that God is spirit and He is not material. He's not of flesh and blood. He doesn't have the fleshly limitations that we have. So when we worship Him, we must worship in a harmony with His nature, spirit. And in doing so, we worship in spirit and in truth. So I think about this with a proper attitude. We should never, we should never come to worship with the mindset... What am I going to get out of it? We should never do that. Or as a mere checklist in our Christian faith. Oop, been to church, check it off. Done what I need to do. That is not what we should be doing. When we do that, this is a human center. This is, this is a selfishness. And it is not God-centered. Our attitude is not where it needs to be. Now, I'm stepping on my own toes here. Because as I look at this, it made me reflect upon how I need to be adjusting my attitude each and every time that I come to worship. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe this has been you. I stopped going to worship with said believers because I just didn't get anything out of service. And as I say that, it sounds pretty selfish. 
it sounds pretty centered on you. Now, I was always taught, maybe most of you in here, that you get out of something what you put into it. And I believe that is very important in worship. We're going to get out what we, what we put in. And so we have to keep that in mind. I think about Cain and Abel there in Genesis chapter 4 when we look at a proper attitude. Cain did not give his best and how did it, how was that towards God? It displeased God. Abel gave his best and it pleased God. Now as you continue to read in there, uh, Cain was very upset about this and ended up killing his brother. But what I want to get from this is the fact that we do need to make sure that our attitude is to where we can give our very best. Now, along with saying that, yeah, I just didn't get anything out of it, sure, I'm not going to lie. There's, there's times to where the men that come and lead do not do a, a job or an effective job that allows us to be able to worship as best we can. Just kind of going through, we look at an opening prayer, those men that come and lead us in prayer, they are unifying our spirit in one as we pray to God. And we are signifying that we are in, pray, we are in prayer with Him when we end with Amen. Which basically is saying, I'm in agreement. So we do that. And then think about um, a song leader. If he hasn't prepared and he's picking his songs out as he's rushing to the building, he's not effectively doing what he needs to do as a leader to help you give your very best in worship. And I'm as guilty as anybody in that area. The preacher, not doing a PowerPoint, No, the preacher not preparing and just speaking from the cuff. Now, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to, I will say that sometimes that's okay. But there is, there is a sense of focus and preparation that needs to take place. Michael did a great job with communion focus and getting our hearts and minds ready to partake in the Lord's Supper. And then, of course, I, I listed all of these things, but there's a particular responsibility upon the believer, the individual believer in worship. And we see in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 that we need to be singing. And sometimes we don't prepare and train ourselves enough during the week to be able to come to worship to be able to do that as best we can. But we want and should give our very best. And, and one of the reasons we do that is because of what Christ has done for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away and the new has come. 
Boy, what a reason to be here. Of what Christ has done for us. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. He gave His body, shed His blood for us. A true worshiper, the third point, is that we must worship God in truth. What does that mean? That simply means as His words direct. As God instructs. That's what that means. We have to look at God's word to see what our worship should look like. We do. We don't just make up our own things. We need to see what the Word of God says. Just, just kind of give some examples here. 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy chapter 2. The Word of God gives us descriptions of public worship in particular that women cannot lead. I did not say that. I did not make that up. That comes from... The Word of God. And don't forget, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. This is Him telling us these things. You know, it's heartbreaking when you read about congregations that waver from the Word in their worship and the turmoil that it creates. The, the heartache... Splits friendships, splits families. When all we need to do is go to the Word of God to see what the truth is. It is that simple at times. But we cannot dilute the truth and chase after things that are false. We cannot. We have to stay true to what God has to say. And I am very thankful that we have elders here that shepherd this flock to make sure things like that are not taking place. I'm so glad that God has set that up so that we can make sure that we are worshiping in truth. You see, when we come, we come on the first day of the week in Acts chapter 20. We have examples here. Acts chapter 20 verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we are gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them. Intending to leave the next day, he prolonged his message until midnight, and I do not plan to preach as long as Paul. But you see, they came on the first day of the week, and did you hear that? Did you notice? To break the bread. And, and, and what this means when it says the breaking of bread, they are gathering for the Lord's Supper. That is what they're doing here. In 1 Corinthians 6, in 16 verse 2, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he prospers so that no collections be made when I come. See, we come to worship God not only as our Creator, but as our Father of Jesus Christ. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in Mark 14, 22, and in the parallel scriptures that take place. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it, it is repeated as a memorial. And as we worship God in truth, we know that we are to come as a 
here to partake in the memorial. You know, and it is sad that we have more attend a memorial service of a mere mortal person than we do the immortal Savior. It is sad. But we have to examine ourselves. Am I focusing on these said truths? Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You hear that? Your word. So then you have to ask, how can I be a Christian and never know what this says? Far too often, we have people that do not know His word. Just as the Samaritans worshipped traditions by men, they were not worshipping correctly. Mark 7, 7, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Hmm. Are, are we worshipping based upon the truth in what's presented? Or are we worshipping based upon our own traditions? I will say that every tradition needs to be looked at and challenged. Is it from man or is it instituted by God? 2 John 9, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. So as we have just touched the surface of this, because in all honesty, this could be um, week, weeks-long series just in worshiping spirit and in truth. But I hope that we understand that there is a role for us as when we come to worship and understand what we need to be doing. What we need to be doing. And again, it's the twofold. It's the twofold. We come to say, God, you are number one in our lives. We give you the glory and honor. And when you do so, you encourage others. You edify them. We do that. And I'll, I'll quote Buford T. Justice. Put the evidence in the car. He would say junior. But put the evidence in the car. That evidence is this truth in which we have. God's truth. His truth sets the captive free. It breaks the chains of sin. Why? Because He loves you. Because He loves me. He loves the world that He did that. And we should be eternally grateful. And we should want, not because we have to, but we should want to come and worship Him and proclaim that. And I will even say that it has to extend beyond 
these walls of the meeting house. That it has to go out into the world. As we talked about earlier, living the Great Commission. And that's what we're about here. Maybe you're battling things. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I haven't been. And that's okay. We all fall into that. But we need to remember that God wants us to give our very best. Maybe you're saying, hey, you know, this this Christ thing, I want to be in Christ. I want to know what that's about. What do you mean setting the captive free? What do you mean forgiving me of my sins? can. As Romans 6 says, we have to be buried with Him in the watery grave. That when we come out, we have a new life. We are a new uh, creation, a new creature. Ready to serve Him and proclaim that unto all corners of the earth. Maybe you need the prayers of this congregation. Whatever your need may be, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.